Happy Sabbath, everyone. Okay, I think we've got technology squared away here at my end. Welcome, uh, especially to our visitors today. I'm glad that you're able to join us. Uh, the title of the message this morning, No Better Way, it's part three of a series of messages on the sanctuary. Um, and if you missed part one and part two, it's not a problem. We'll have a, we'll have a review and catch you right up. So let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Uh, loving Father, thank you that we can open your word this morning. As we do that, we claim your promise in James, where you have promised to give us wisdom liberally without reproach to those who ask in faith. Uh, we do that just now. We ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit uh, to guide us into all truth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how are you doing? How's everybody doing? Are you doing okay? How's your battle with sin going? Do you know there's a battle that we have, right? A battle with sin. And maybe not everyone is fighting that battle, but um, I have good news. God has an answer. Actually, God has the answer uh, to this problem of sin and the battle with sin. Um, God's way is in the sanctuary. Um, Ralph just read that for us. And there's no, other, there's no better way than God's way. And he has chosen the sanctuary to demonstrate in detail how the, the issue of sin and salvation, uh, justification, all of those things are being dealt with. In Exodus 25, 9, it says, According to all that I show you, God is speaking, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So God is speaking with Moses and telling him uh, you know, exactly how the tabernacle uh, is to be created and in every detail. Leviticus 4.32, this is a review um, of our previous messages. It says, And if he bring a lamb for a sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering, and he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. So day by day, um, in the Old Testament uh, sanctuary service, the repentant sinner brought his offering to the door of the tabernacle and placing his hand upon the head of the victim, he confessed his sins. And in figure, he was transferring his sin or sins from himself to the innocent animal. Does that make sense? A very simple thing that's happening there. The animal was then slain by the, the sinner and as the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin, right? And so uh, we're told in Leviticus chapter 7 that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so the broken law of God demanded the life of the transgressor. And so the blood representing the, the life that was taken or the forfeited life of the sinner whose guilt the victim, the innocent animal, bore, it was carried by the priest into the holy place and sprinkled before the veil. 
And behind the veil was what? The ark, that's right. The ark which contained the law that the sinner had broken. And by this ceremony, the sin was, through the blood, transferred in figure into the sanctuary. So it went from the sinner to the innocent animal. What did the innocent lamb represent? Or who did the innocent lamb represent? Represented Jesus, that's right. Even the young people uh, understand that. And we're told in Great Controversy, page 488, that the subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. And, and I want to know what the Bible says about how, how God is dealing with this problem of sin and the issue of salvation. So God's, God's Word tells us that His way of dealing with sin and sinners is demonstrated in the sanctuary. And it's done in a very concise, very comprehensive, interesting, I say very interesting and complete way. And so we're going to look uh, at that this morning. Now, I want to share a quote with you from Councils on Health, page 222, that I believe, really shows God's commitment and his love for sinners. Is that an important thing to consider? God's love for us. And so again, this is from uh, Councils on Health, page 222. It says, The Godhead was stirred with pity for the race. And listen to this. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit gave themselves to the working out of the plan of redemption. Isn't that beautiful? The Godhead, all three persons of the Godhead, she says, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working out the plan of redemption, gave themselves to the working out of the plan of redemption. And we just read that God's way is in the sanctuary. And so uh, she goes on, she says, in order fully to carry out this plan, it was decided that Christ... The only begotten Son of God should give himself an offering for sin. What line can measure the depth of this love? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. This plan was agreed upon by all three. Shows their love for sinners. So what are some of the facets of the plan of salvation? As we look at the courtyard, at the holy place... And then next time, the most holy place. So one of the first things is faith. We see faith there. Uh, Romans 12, 3, God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. And so God gives faith and we exercise faith. That makes sense? Faith is indispensable in order for the sinner to even come to the courtyard with an innocent animal. You understand that, right? There was no need. If you had no faith, you, you, know, you just pretend like you didn't sin and you don't even go there. So faith is indispensable for the sinner to even get involved in this uh, dealing with sin. Faith must be exercised at every level from the courtyard right through the most holy place. Faith is necessary. God gives faith, and we are expected to exercise faith. And then, and then repentance. Um, you can read about that in 2 Peter 3.9. Uh, 
Without repentance, it's just a mere form uh, going through the motions, and it doesn't benefit man or the Lord at all. And that word metanoia in the Greek, repentance or repent, it means to think differently, to change the way you think. Does that make sense? So you're, you're caught up in a habit, a sinful habit. You must, in order to repent, ask God to help you change the way you think about that sin that you love so much. Absolutely necessary. When the sinner came to the courtyard with the innocent animal that represented Jesus, they had to exercise faith to do that. And they had to, as they put their, placed their hand on the head of the animal and confessed their sins, they had to have a change of mind about that sin. That's the repentance part. And then forgiveness is also a facet of the sanctuary and how God is dealing with this problem of sin. And it's only possible because of what Jesus did by his sacrifice. It's only possible. And if you read in 1 John 1, 9, we're all familiar with that, with that Bible verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God forgives because of what Jesus did, and we do what? We accept. We have to accept. And then there's cleansing. So we have faith and repentance and forgiveness, and then cleansing. Um, David said in Psalm 51, too, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So he, he understood the necessity of cleansing. And then in Revelation 1.5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, And the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. So very clearly, the blood of Jesus and cleansing, they go together. One is not possible without the other. You can't be cleansed from your sin without the blood of Jesus. And then uh, let's go to Revelation 7 and look at verse 14. There's Bibles right there in the pews for you if you didn't bring one. Go to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14. Revelation seven fourteen. the Bible says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have what? washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Speaking of the 144,000, speaking of those that came out of great tribulation, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So we see clearly that that cleansing is necessary. And then the next facet, so we have faith, repentance, forgiveness, cleansing, and then justification. And justification is acquittal or to render just or innocent. To render just and innocent. And then sanctification. That's purification, holiness. It's the process of making a person holy. 
And all of these, we see all of these demonstrated in the sanctuary. And there's other things, I'm sure, that you could think of. Um, but this is a, you know, a, a broad view of the highlights of the things that God is demonstrating, that God is trying to teach, and that um, we experience as we move through, by faith, this, this sanctuary process. So remember, the subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. So important. Why is it important? Well, it, it shows us, it teaches us how sin is dealt with. It, it teaches us about all of those things that we talked about. Um, sanctification, justification, each of those things that we looked at. Now, um, faith and repentance, forgiveness. So now let's, let's look inside the most holy place, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up. And, and so you can see the courtyard here where the smoke is on the altar of birth sacrifice, and then the priest is standing in front of the laver. And then the first compartment or apartment in the sanctuary is the holy place. That's where we're going right now. And as we walk in there, as we go into the holy place, this is the room in which Jesus entered after his ascension into heaven, okay? And it's a, it's a wonderful uh, thought to remember that that happened, uh, that, that the, the most holy place, when Jesus went into the most holy place was October 22nd, right, 1844. But he's in the, in the holy place, and as we go in there, um, we see the table of showbread. It's on the north or the right side as you walk in. If you turn to the right, you would find the table of showbread. And it, it translates the bread of presentation. Presented to God. The bread was presented to God. And there were 12 loaves or cakes of bread. And they were replaced each Sabbath. And so considering uh, these things were considered to be holy unto the Lord as a thank offering for God's daily blessings. And in a greater sense, it points to Jesus. Really, when you, when you look at the sanctuary service, you should see Jesus in everything that's happening there. Who did the priest represent in the sanctuary service? He, he represented Jesus. The innocent animal represented Jesus, right? Okay, you, see, you can see Jesus if you're looking for him. So the bread pointed to Christ, who is our spiritual bread, and also his word. So look at the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6, and this, we're going to read verses 51 and 53. John, chapter 6, 51 and 53. And Jesus is speaking here, and he says what? I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. It's wonderful. It's the gospel in, in one verse. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. In Amos chapter 8, uh, verses 11 and 12, it says this, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread that you eat, I put that in, 
nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea. This is verse 12 of Amos 8. And from the north even to the east they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. God's word is food for the soul. It's absolutely necessary for us. But there's coming a time when people will seek for it, but it'll be too late. They will not be able to find it. Okay, let's continue. To the left, as you walk into the holy place, to the left, there's a seven-branch candlestick. Or the golden lampstand. And we can read about that in Exodus 25, uh, chapter 25, uh, beginning in verse 31. But I'm just going to summarize a little bit. It's located on the left side of the holy place as you enter. It was made from 75 and a half pounds of gold, solid gold, a talent of gold. Um, and this was the only source of light in the holy place. There weren't windows there to lighten it. And it was kept continuously burning. Uh, It was never allowed that all of the lamps would be extinguished. You know, if they were changing things out or trimming, um, there were always some that were going. It was never allowed to be extinguished completely. Trimmed every evening at sunset. And the fuel was the purest of olive oil. That was the fuel that that powered this uh, seven-branch candlestick. Now, if you were to read uh, 1 Samuel 16, 13, you'll see the connection between oil and the Holy Spirit. Um, And just in the interest of time, we won't go there, but you could look that up. 1 Samuel 16, 13. And what does the Holy Spirit do for us? You're in John. Go to John 16, and let's read verse 8. And Jesus is speaking here. What does the Holy Spirit do for us? Why is this important? John 16 and verse 8, the Bible says, And when Jesus said, And when he is come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Very important uh, role that the Holy Spirit um, has. Go to John uh, 16, 13 now. John 16, 13, says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will what? He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So here the Holy Spirit, uh, we're learning his role uh, for us today. He's a real person. That personal pronoun, he, is being used repeatedly. And so the Holy Spirit has an important work. He will guide us into all truth. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Very important. So who does the light, or what does the light represent from the candlestick? Go to John 8 and verse 12. John 8 and verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, 
I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So the seven-branched candlestick certainly represents Jesus. Certainly represents Jesus. He said that he is the light of the world. The light of God's word directs us to Jesus, doesn't it? Um, You think about Psalm 119, 105, right? Thy word is a, finish it, and a what? Beautiful, that's right. And so without the sacrifice and the work of Jesus, we would be in eternal darkness. Without God's word, we would be just wandering and grasping anything that comes our way. You know, every wind of doctrine, because you don't have anything to compare it to. But God hasn't made it complicated. He's made it very interesting and and comprehensive, but he hasn't made it complicated. You go to God's word and he will reveal the light to you. So important. And remember, there's a famine coming. People will seek to and fro, back and forth, looking for God's word, and it will not be available. Now is the time for us to be uh, in God's word. Let's look at one verse, Psalm 141. You've got to try to keep up with me here. Psalm 141 and verse 2. One forty-one and verse 2. This is important as we consider the next article of furniture, which was straight ahead. As you walked into the holy place before the veil, separating the holy from the most holy, was the altar of incense. And we're in Psalm 141, verse 2. And the Bible says this, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as what? as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So the high priest burned a very special mixture of three spices. They were equally portioned. And they were, they were done morning and evening. And what would happen to that smoke from the incense? What would it do? It would go up. And over the veil separating the holy place from the most holy place. And over the ark, the Shekinah glory was what? It was the presence of God in the most holy place. But mankind could not go in there. We can't go into the presence of God right now and live. The, the sinner couldn't walk past the priest, go into the holy place, and then part the curtain and go into the most holy place to have a conversation with the Lord, could not do that. But through prayer, we can do what we physically can't do by faith. We can go into the presence of God. And this is what this symbolized. It was the righteousness of Christ mingled with the prayers of the faithful. You had to believe that this was actually effective and actually worked. We have to believe that. We have to know that our prayers go further than the ceiling or the person next to us is their, their ears. And so the altar of incense, very important, was made of acacia wood or shittim wood. It was overlaid with pure gold. And so the, the incense represents the prayers of God's people. And I imagine that the aroma was amazing. 
Because, you know, God doesn't do anything, you know, by accident. And he said, you're going to use these three spices and they're going to be equally portioned out. And also, you're not to use this combination of spices for anything else. So I imagine that the aroma was uh, pretty fantastic. And so when we follow this example, we're able to, by our heartfelt prayers, to go into the presence of God. It's a wonderful thing. So smoke and fragrance and incense rose up over the veil into the most holy place in the immediate presence of God. And remember this, faith and prayer are able to go where you and I can't go. You can't go physically. So the Lord has shown us in the holy place of the sanctuary that there's no better way. There's no better way to show us how to be recipients of his divine nature. And something that we need to uh, remember is that when you look at um, the sanctuary, and let me back up to an earlier slide. Okay, when you look at the sanctuary, um, each area of the sanctuary represents a portion of the Christian spiritual journey. Does that make sense? So in the courtyard, at the you know, opening to the courtyard, when the sinner brings the innocent lamb, it, it, it really is speaking of the new birth, the baby Christian. Here I come with all of my sins. I need a Savior. Praise the Lord for that, right? And everyone may be at a different place in this process. And so the, the animal is sacrificed. And the altar of burnt sacrifice represents the sacrifice of Jesus. And then the laver is next. Okay? And so the sinner comes, they confess their sins, and they're exercising the faith that Jesus gave them. And in doing so, they're forgiven. And they're cleansed. And it's the beginning of this born-again process, right? But then there's a sacrifice that has to take place. Now, there's the sacrifice of Jesus, but simultaneously, there's the sacrifice that the sinner has to make. Did you have to make a sacrifice to become a, a Christian? I did. I had to make many sacrifices. And some people have to make a sacrifice of where they work. When they realize the truth of the seventh-day Sabbath. Some will have to give up alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, some foods that are unhealthy, etc., etc. And notice that the labor doesn't come before the altar of, of burnt sacrifice. Sacrifice comes first and then baptism. So this is the, the courtyard is the beginning process for the, for the Christian. And it's still important to us, but it's the beginning process. And then when you go into the holy place... It's a process now of sanctification. Because remember, we're talking about God's word. God's word. We need to fortify our minds with God's word. Uh, the light of God's word, Jesus, in all of those things, and prayer. So through Bible study, through prayer, through the power and grace of Jesus, the Christian grows. They become more like Jesus. It's the sanctification process that's happening in the holy place. That's, we don't want to be in the courtyard. 
We certainly want to be involved in sanctification. It's the work of a lifetime, we're told. It happens day by day. It's like climbing Jacob's ladder, okay? Lord presents something in the character that must go, and he gives us the grace and the power to do it, and we advance step by step. Sometimes we get stalled. We get to rung number 20, and we don't go any further in our walk because there's a character trait that God is trying to cleanse, is trying to purify, trying to change, and we're stuck there. And so, by God's grace, we'll move forward. This is what's happening in the holy place of the sanctuary. So let's summarize this. We enter into the holy place of the sanctuary by faith. We immediately are impressed with the illumination of that, of that apartment by the seven-branch candlestick. It lightens our way, represents God's word, represents Jesus, reminds us of the important work of the Holy Spirit and how he guides us in our walk. Okay, He convicts of sin, guides us into truth, uh, and uh, convicts us of righteousness and of judgment. So important. And Revelation 18.1 tells us there's coming a time soon when the whole world, the whole earth, will be lightened with God's glory and the glory of the everlasting gospel. So the Holy Spirit, we have to keep that in mind, is at work right now on this earth, in our lives, and there's coming a time when there's going to be a great illumination of the glory of God to this planet. And then we look to our right, we see the table of showbread with the 12 cakes of bread, reminding us of Jesus, who is the living bread, and how he has invited us to eat of his flesh. Now, I grew up in the Catholic Church, so I can say these things. Um, They actually believe that when you go to Mass and take the host, the piece of unleavened bread, into your mouth, you're actually eating the flesh of Jesus. That is not what the Bible teaches. Okay? Um, He is not talking about taking a bite out of Jesus. He's talking about... Um, and, and you read about it in the Gospels over and over again. He, he wants us to abide in him and he will abide in us. He's talking about this relationship that is inseparable. That every moment of every day we're walking with Jesus. We're eat, reading his word and we're letting him lead in our lives. So he's invited us to do that, to have that abiding relationship. And so, in other words, he wants us to take the life, his sacrifice, his death, and intercession personally by faith. In that way, we're abiding in him. We're trusting in all of those things that he has told us he's doing and has done. We're trusting in him for that. And as we continue forward, we see the altar of incense, which reminds us to pray. The importance of prayer. So, so vital. And we can know that God is listening to his children. Do you listen to your children when they pour their heart out to you? Absolutely. And as we plead with him to remove the defects of character, because that is in large part the purpose of what is being demonstrated in the holy place. It's that, it's that preparation for its character uh, cleansing. He is molding us so that we're fit to be in his kingdom pleading with him to remove the defects in our character. We're privileged to go into the immediate presence of God. And as Hebrews says, come boldly to the throne of grace. That's how we do it, through prayer, claiming his promises. And we'll end with this scripture here. It's one of my favorites. 
I gotta move to the end though. Right here. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his what? His will. He heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So I want you to think about that and think about the the sanctification process where the Lord is changing our characters so that we're fit for heaven so that affliction will not rise up a second time, Nahum 1.9. You're thinking about that, and you're claiming this promise. He says, if we pray anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we've desired of Him. So if you say, Lord, you know, uh, I have a real problem in this area, and it's sinful, and it's plaguing me, Please help me to get victory over that. Is that praying according to God's will? Yes. So what is his answer when you ask that, when you pray that prayer? The answer is yes. And we must believe that by faith. You must claim this promise by faith as you move forward from here today. Do not be stalled in the courtyard. Don't stay there. Let's let's move because next time we're going to be in the most holy place. And we need to cooperate with Jesus with the work that he's doing. Just like the children of Israel had to cooperate in their day. We have to cooperate in our day. Okay? So if that's your desire, I invite you to kneel and we'll pray together. Loving Father, we're just so thankful for the clarity of your word. We're, we're thankful that you understand us so well that you have presented to us um, in wonderful demonstration uh, what is happening with this uh, plan of redemption, plan of salvation, how you're dealing with sin. And we can study it uh, over and over again in depth in the scriptures through the sanctuary. And thank you that uh, your way is in the sanctuary. And we can, as little children, learn what you have uh, to teach us. Father, we uh, desire to have an experience that is deeper than just being in the courtyard. Um, We want to be on the solid meat uh, of your word. We want to grow as Christians. And so, Father, we're uh, bowing before you, kneeling before you, and we're asking that we would, uh, through faith, advantage ourselves of prayer, of your word, and of the power of the blood of Jesus in our lives. We understand that you are trying to fit us for your heavenly kingdom so that heaven is a safe place, so that the universe is a safe place. We want to be there, Lord. We want to be like you. We desire the divine nature of Jesus. And so we ask you, Lord, to do a work in our hearts, young and old, uh, that needs to be done. We thank you that we can come into your presence through prayer in a mighty way, boldly. We can come into your presence. We thank you for that. We thank you for our love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.